Hey everybody, welcome to Killer Cereals. This is Tony Jones. Hey, this is Ryan Parker. Hey, you guys, Killer Cereals is here. You know, we're a couple guys with PhDs in theology who talk about serial TV shows and look for spiritual theological themes therein. And we are just at the front end of our biggest undertaking to date. And that is going through all 30 episodes of the award-winning series Rectify, which initially uh, originally came out in 2013 on the Sundance channel. Now you can stream all the episodes on Netflix. We encourage you to join us in watching this really incredible show. This is uh, we're talking about episode two, which is titled Sexual Peeling. You can stop if you haven't watched it, stop right now. Go watch episodes one and two, and you'll be caught up. Quick, quick recap. Everybody's, yeah, yeah, yeah everybody's uh, who's listening should have been watching or already watched. Uh, for some reason, you're you're hanging in here, uh, trying to figure out what we're doing and what we're about. Uh, the epi- the series Rectify follows the release of Daniel Holden, uh, a young man who was imprisoned as an 18 year old, spent 18 to 19 years in prison for a crime that he actually may not have committed. Um, and episode two just kind of continues his reintegration into society uh, through his own experiences and those of his family. So that's, that's kind of where we are in, in a way of recap. Don't want to spend too much time there. Tony, you identified a couple of themes that were prevalent in this episode, and I had one more to add to that. So what, what are we going to be? Well, obviously, into? obviously, front and center in this episode is sex. And it is so intense, man. I'm already uncomfortable. <laughs> there were these... I just think the acting in this series... We're only two episodes in, but the acting is just incredible. They're, they're, these dialogues are so intense, and they leave, you know, they leave the cameras on these actors through these very long dialogues between two characters. And we have two of these conversations that take place during the maybe the kind of the second half of this episode but before we even get to that okay let's just talk about the difference in in sex between a brother and a sister because what we get from Daniel when he's on the a golf course driving range with his uh stepbrother Teddy Jr. You don't know if he's messing with Teddy Jr. by going like deep into the, his experience of being raped early on in his time on death row, or if it's cathartic that he's talking about this for the first time. It's obviously something that he's thought about before. And uh, I think, Ryan, we're going to play a little bit of that dialogue right here. There are no conjugal visits. I knew it. You couldn't even touch another person, right? No touching. That's got to work on your psyche. You weren't supposed to anyway. What do you mean you weren't supposed to? Things were a lot different when I was first incarcerated. Certain element of guards were less supervised. So it uh, created an environment for things to occur. Things? What What? Uh, what kind of things? Encounters, I guess. Oh, well, not by chance. More like an initiation of sorts. Initiation? 
You know, maybe it was when they first saw something akin to optimism on your face, or a bit of peace. Or just that moment when you began to believe that you could survive it in some paradoxical way. I don't know why they did it. Justification's a slippery slope, Ted. Dude, that that is some intense. I don't think Teddy, when, when Teddy took Daniel out for lunch and then to go to the driving range, uh, I think he was, you know, trying to just figure out if the guy was going to try to come in and steal the tire shop. He wasn't really looking for this super intense treatise on prison rape. Well, Tony, I think the the beauty already, and it's it's in some way it's a little laughable. Daniel's going to give you more than you bargained for when you enter yeah. into a conversation with him. And, you know, to, to your question or your curiosity about whether or not um, that's actually happened or like he's messing with Teddy Jr. Is you have to go to the flashback of uh, the scene where Daniel is in prison and the guy, the inmate next to him seems to wake up and masturbate every morning to some potentially violent images, at least the way that he talks to yeah. uh, Daniel. So when you have an, another inmate, we it's rare that we get to see these glimpses maybe once in an episode so far. But when that that type of character is in there and it's a flashback to that, you kind of think, man, Daniel really went through some shit, right? Be it psychological or physical. And it, it, to me, when I was listening to that conversation with Teddy Jr., I was like, man, it, he, he went through it. You know, he went through something. And... But I, to me, that's the conversation that Teddy didn't want to have, right? Teddy's, Teddy kind of tees up that whole theme and that running conversation between the diner and the golf course by asking about conjugal visits. Yeah, like he does which, tee, literally tee it up, and, <laughs> and yet he doesn't really want what's coming. Honesty. Yeah, and, and what I wanted to juxtapose that with is Amantha and her no-strings-attached sexual... Um, liaison with uh, Daniel's defense attorney, John Stern. And they're in the motel room. Supposedly they've broken it off. Hey, let's have one last final poke. Oh no, this we did. Let's have a final, final poke. Ha ha ha. And then she goes down on him to give him oral sex. And, you know, a handyman uh, looks in through the window and sees them in the act. So, just think of over the last two decades of their lives, the difference in experience, sexual experiences of this brother and sister. The brother who's been raped in prison, where it was clearly, as he says to Teddy, you know, it's like, when did they do it? You know, I guess it's maybe when they first saw something akin to optimism on your face or a bit of peace or that moment when you begin to believe that you could survive it in some paradoxical way. I don't know why they did it. Yeah, justification is a slippery slope, Ted. This is what Daniel <laughs> says. Meanwhile, in the motel room, his sister is like going down on her lawyer who doesn't really want to have sex, but he's like, well, if if this good-looking woman's going to go down on me, I'm not going to stop her. You know, they they juxtapose these two realities and it makes it so much more intense i think well i i think that's an interesting i hadn't quite thought as much about amantha's sexuality although at, 
to your point, it is a, a theme here. I was also intrigued by potentially a third couple yeah. when we talk about this notion of this theme of sex and sexuality. And that's with Teddy Jr. and Tawny, because you realize towards the end of the episode that his conversations to or his questions to Daniel seem to be as much about his own sexual frustrations as anything to do with what prison life is about. Because we see that, um, like many conservative couples, we saw this with Unorthodox, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there seems to be, on the part of, of, of Tawny, there's a reticence to embrace her sexuality. You know, there's this really kind of weird scene, Tony, where Teddy Jr. is looking at her through a cracked door, like spying yeah. on his wife. Yeah. And she's very taken aback by that. And she's very modest. And we were talking about this before we started recording. Like the the series ends with this intercut of Daniel masturbating to a nudie mag, <laughs> a nudie mag that Teddy gave him. And right. and then Teddy basically I mean, he's, it's not date rape or, you know, it's not rape, but it's but, just, but they film, there's no they film romance, in such a way there's to show, no, yeah, no connection, no, connection. no intimacy. Yeah. She's, yeah. she it doesn't seem to be enjoying it. The, the act, and he has said to her earlier, we haven't made love since Daniel came home from prison. And she says, so, and he's like, do you have a crush on him? And she says, I'm offended that you would even think it. And yet he's making this connection between their sex life and Daniel's, uh, you know, reemergence into the family. And we got to remember that um, that couple, they weren't even in the family when Daniel went off to prison in his late teens. So Tawny and Teddy Jr., Daniel doesn't know what to make of them and they don't know what to make of Daniel. It's not like they grew up as step siblings. They're all brand new to this deal. And then there's this other weird, okay, tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. But Teddy Jr. When he's talking to his stepmom and they talk, it's creepy. Isn't it creepy when he's like, I'll call you Janet. When Daniel's not a uh, when Daniel's around, but I'll call you mommy when Dan when when Daniel's not around, oh, it'll be yeah. our little secret. Is that not like there is some weird Oedipal stuff to the fact that Teddy Jr.'s dad married Janet, and now is he like playing on Janet to try to get her on his side? He, I, it's it's weird and creepy, and and a little, and there's something sexual going on in that relationship well to i'm glad you brought that up too and and maybe to kind of bridge between this this theme and the theme of time which uh, i know that we're both really interested in the the sexual component with janet and teddy jr not not that there's sexual tension there but it's not overt there's there's something weird there and it's a and to me it brings to mind daniel's question to teddy jr in the episode do you like to play games, Ted? And mm-hmm. I, I think there's something going on there with Janet. And then I also think that it, we see that on full display with Teddy Jr.'s coercion uh, to have sex with Tawny, right? He's playing these mind games with her. And he's like, well, you know how ins- insecure I can be sometimes. 
but the way he delivers yeah. that through the well, acting and, 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 performances, and, and, like the way he yeah. looks at her and, and the staging. But, you know, I think what that, that theme really brings us to, it kind of ties into that notion of time, which we see on full display in that conversation um, between Tawny and Daniel right before Daniel, uh, Teddy Jr. accuses Tawny of being, you know, kind of attracted to or in love with Daniel. I want to talk about two other juxtapositions before we get into that time, and that's about touch. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Okay, when Amantha early in the episode is in the hotel room and she basically says, you know, what's a girl got to do here? Like basically beg for it. And finally they hug and she says, like, there's not a lot of hugging going on at our house right now. Because yeah. it, with her, with her mom, with Daniel, with her little brother, it, everything is very awkward and stilted. Everyone's trying to adjust to Daniel's presence, but there's not a lot of affection. There's really virtually no affection between the mother, Janet, and the, and the son, Daniel. Okay, jump ahead. to So she hugs her, her you know, lawyer, boyfriend um, for their one last poke, and then... Jump ahead to the end of the episode, this this conversation that you're referencing between Daniel and Tawny and what happens right at the end of that uh, conversation. They hold hands and, yeah. we, and the camera zooms in on their hands being held. And there's a moment of touch yep. that you know that Daniel has had virtually no human. I mean, he said that he he said it. To Teddy Jr. on yep. the on the golf course, there was no touching. There was no, no touching. So for 19 years, this arrested guy's development, had no, no touching. Yeah, yeah, no human touching. And now this very sweet, and you're right. They're, they're playing her up as this very sweet, innocent, uh, shy, but deeply, but deeply spiritual. Deep and yes, and and, 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 and she wise, reaches out and she reaches out and holds Daniel's hand. In a moment of affection and intimacy, that um, you know, if if Teddy Jr. had walked up while they were holding hands, he would have come unglued. Um, and could and it, because he yeah. doesn't really have he doesn't really have the spiritual or emotional intelligence and depth to offer that type of connection. What to, does he offer? What does he well, offer right then a, instead? A nudie mag. I'm going to a nudie man. Nudie man. Right. Yeah. So so his wife offers his hand her hand. Yeah. And he offers the most, you know, dehumanizing, degrading version of human flesh. Yeah, and let's talk about that. I think the best way to do this is to just play a clip from that conversation between Tawny and Daniel to kind of get at a little bit of the depth there and tee up kind of the next next section of this conversation. But it really does go from the sublime to the ridiculous, right? To the to the depth and beauty of their conversation. And then Teddy Jr. comes over and is like, hey, I got you something. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, let's take a listen to that for a few seconds and then we'll come back. Hello. Hello. I'm sorry I haven't said more to you. I guess I was afraid. Not of you. I just didn't know what to say exactly. I understand. I'm glad you're here. Home. Thank you. I I'm glad too. Please take a seat if you'd like. 
sure is a beautiful day. It, um... has lots of colors. Do you have, like, a, a favorite season, Daniel? A favorite season? Personally, I like the fall a lot. But I also, I love it when it rains on a hot summer day. Even though that's technically not a season. What is it that you love about rain on a hot summer's day? I don't know. It calms me down. Makes the plants happy. <sighs> and the thunder. I love the thunder. It makes me think of God, but not in a bad way. It's interesting, there were a couple different religious moments in this episode, Ryan. One is this, where she references God. Another time, she's in uh, the truck with Teddy Jr., and he, she says, uh, Should we, can we pray about this? Like, he's very distraught about the business and obviously trying to figure out if his stepbrother is a murderer or not. He, he seems much more consumed by that question than really anybody else in the main characters. He really wants to come to a definitive conclusion about that. To your point, only because it of how it's going to affect the business, right? Yeah, right. Not because I mean, of any sort self, of idea about truth. Selfish. Or, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. She asks him if he wants to pray about it. He says no. And then you jump ahead toward the end of the episode when they're at the uh, barbecue in the backyard. And... Ted Sr. is grilling some steaks. John Stern, the attorney, is standing there talking to him, kind of telling him about what lies in their future. And Ted Jr. comes up and starts basically making anti-Semitic jokes about yeah. like eating pork. And, yeah, and drinking the blood of Christ. And, and yeah, next thing you know, you'll be drinking the blood of Christ. And yep. it's very awkward. Other people around find that an awkward joke, an awkward conversation. But th there are these little moments where, I mean, we're talking about like deeper issues of relationality and, and spirituality. But then there's these like awkward religious moments come up. Do you want to pray? No, I don't want to pray. Yeah. Well, let's I, make fun. Of, let's make fun of the Jew. Maybe he'll drink the blood of Christ. Like, and there's a little bit of a wink there toward Jews were the you know. In, yeah. in conservative Christianity, there's the belief that Jews killed Christ. So it, it's a it, there's some deeper r religious themes that are just barely starting to show their heads. I think. Yeah, and I'll be really interested. Last week you talked about the way Daniel did time and is doing time uh, compared to being in prison and out of prison. I'll and to, it'd be interesting to see how they continue that theme throughout the series. I'll be interested to see how they navigate the the themes of religion as traditionally defined through practices, prejudices, and, and as a community, right? Uh, like the, for the examples that you just gave, I think you kind of put that on one side, and the other side is something that's a bit more philosophical, spiritual, maybe a little deeper, right? Which is continuing that idea of of like doing time and that we see discussed so beautifully in the conversation between Daniel and Tawny, where he talks about anticipating the next thing. And I think it's really interesting that we're watching this during quarantine. And we talked a little bit about this last week, 
you know, what we didn't bring up was a, an article you shared with me about Ellen DeGeneres comparing being in quarantine to being in prison, which is obviously, you know, kind of nonsensical. But I think the way that we think about how we mark time in our lives by events is really interesting when you hear it through someone like Daniel, who's been so shaped. And I don't know, this is what you and I, I think, can have an ongoing conversation about. It's all, I want to say degraded by uh, life in prison, but yet it's, it, you can't really say that because he is thinking about time in a way that none of us ever do. And certainly, and, and what we value in a, in a way that is, that has depth and insight to it, that wherever Tawny's going to church, they're probably not talking about life that way, but he's arrived at this by being, by being held prisoner. So we can talk about, he's never heard thunder, right? He doesn't think about seasons, which is a terribly heartbreaking thing to think about someone experiencing life that way. But yet, like a few seconds later, he talks about valuing the time between the seconds. I mean, that is that is amazing. Okay, yeah, stuff, this is. Right? I did. I'm so glad you brought that up because it is. It was one of those lines I wanted to talk about. He said he didn't keep time in a normal way. Like basically, what was it like to do time? I didn't really do time. I lived in the time between the seconds. And I thought that was such fascinating writing and wondered where that came from and where that's going to go. Because obviously doing time is the way that a a lot of people, you know, it's like a euphemism for being in jail or being in prison. And that's how we punish people by putting them away and giving them basically nothing to do so that the time to them seems to go very slowly. And that's, that's their punishment for doing something that was illegal. No, I was going to say, you know, what's interesting. You and I have talked offline about like what our our different takes on the show or what's resonating with us already just in two um, episodes. And like I said, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit, or as I told you earlier, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this as the effects of, the prison system has on an individual, which I do think is, is clearly a theme of this series. But I also think it's asking us to even go deeper than that. um, Which which I think is kind of the layer that you're working with. If we talk about the metaphor of doing time uh, as a, as a way to conceive of like imprisonment or the way that we talk about imprisonment, but doesn't it seem based on, Daniel's conversation with Tawny that people who are outside of prison are the ones that are actually doing time because we're just moving from one thing to the next, right? Rarely pausing to reflect on our place in the universe or experience or beauty or and truth and goodness. Like we're just going to the next event. And isn't that the frustration with a lot of people in quarantine we see in these protests? Like I can't go do this, right? Like I'm having to sit here and think about my life apart from what, gives it structure and meaning, which is often the next thing, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, uh, it, it's just something when, when I saw the episode and, and he says, he, he, you know, what was real to him was the time between the seconds and my books and my friend. And, and I guess we're going to have to find out who he means. Maybe it was the, the guy in the cell next to him that we saw in the flashback in the last episode, not the guy 
obviously we saw in the flashback in this Lord, episode. I hope not. <laughs> but the time between the seconds reminded me of this very famous essay by the uh, philosopher, the Christian philosopher, Nicholas Walterstorff, wrote an essay uh, several decades ago that has been very influential on me and I think on a lot of other theologians. It's called God Everlasting. And he he writes that uh, the vast, I'll just read a very brief selection. The vast majority of theologians have held that God is eternal, existing outside of time. Only a small minority have contended that God is everlasting, existing within time. In, in this essay, he says, I shall argue that God, as conceived and presented by the biblical writers, is a being whose own life and existence is temporal. Basically, God is not outside of time. Like you and I were brought up believing in our churches, probably like Tawny and Teddy Jr.'s church uh, teaches, that God is outside of time, somehow extracted from this experience of time that we all have. Instead, Walter Storff argues, and I think argues persuasively, that the God of the Bible is a God who moves through time with us. It's it, God is a being without end. So God is an everlasting, you know, from age unto age is the old Latin phrase, seculo seculorum. God does not end, but it doesn't mean God is extracted, foren- forensically removed from time, but is instead in time moving through it and redeeming time with us. Now, maybe that's a little bit of a tangent from Daniel's reflections on living in, you know, uh, what's being real is the, is the time between the seconds, whatever that would even mean. But I do think uh, a lot of us as Christians or spiritual people, we do wonder what is our relationship to time and what is God's relationship to time. And, you know, theologians, there's a big section of Augustine's confessions at the end where he is reflecting on this idea of time, our relationship to time and God's relationship to time. It is something that is a deeply philosophical and theological question. Yeah, absolutely. And I think about um, if, if somehow having this notion that God transcends time or somehow exists apart from it, then I think one of the confessions about God's relationality to creation, that problematizes that affirmation, right? Like if somehow God doesn't need to understand time or doesn't experience time the way we do, then then somehow that relationality component is disturbed. Yeah. Um, I, and is w- would seem to me. So yeah, this, this idea of how we think about that, I mean, to me, whether or not this is... Um, like you said, you're potentially going off on a tangent. I don't know. I think the again, this is a type of series that invites that kind of reflection, right? Which is, I think, what we're trying to do. Don't you think you look at, I think, particularly Janet and Amantha, in that for, in some ways for them, time has stood still it, while, while their son and brother was in prison. That's like right. Amantha is still living at home. And you know what? She's got to be 30 years old. And living at home with Janet, um, I mean, right. Janet did get remarried, but they both seem stuck. Like when their when their close family member went away to prison, they were the ones who stepped Tony, outside a, of time. That's a really great point about how, and I wonder if you know, as we continue to to 
watch this series and read about this series, if that isn't another reflection that comes out into kind of the quote unquote accuracy or truthfulness of the series is that time stops for everybody when somebody goes away like that. Yeah. And one of the, one of the last things I want to talk about too, because it's related to Amantha and Janet is this notion of stigma, which I'm almost certain we'll see. They laid a little bit of that groundwork at, in episode one, and we're almost certain to see it for the rest of the series, at least the rest of the season. There's like three moments. We've already talked about one of them that I just thought were a beautiful combination of writing and acting and kind of direction where part of this part of this reconciliation that's happening, so to speak, with Daniel returning to society is the scene in the convenience store early in the episode where the teens sneak in and you think they're going to steal something, but mm-hmm. they like covertly snap a, a selfie with with Daniel and then he sees himself on the front page of the paper. Um, so already his place in the community at large and then and then more intimately his place and his uh, ability or difficulty of being uh, reintegrated into his own family, right? When very, like the first scene in the episode, right? I think it is when Amantha yeah. comes home and she can't find Daniel and she's kind of panicking. Janet shows up. She's a little nonplussed about the whole thing that he's not there and they don't know where he is. And she says, mom, there are people in this town who would kill him if they knew they could get away with it. Right. And Janet goes cat- catatonic for the, the majority like of she, the episode. She goes, she goes and goes lies to bed. down with her purse. She, and she doesn't even, I thought the beautiful touch, like the, the milk is there. The meat is still there. Yeah. And yeah. And then when Teddy Jr. comes in later in the episode, uh, he sees, he touches the gallon of milk. He goes in. And then to your point, she's laid there with her purse. So this idea that like, even though he's out, right, he is n- potentially never going to be fully reintegrated into either family or society. And I think that's also what we yeah. see with that conversation we talked at length about with Teddy, right? Of there is that stigma somehow. Daniel is other, and there are just layers of that othering, right? He was away. He may may or not have raped and murdered this girl. He may or may not have been kind of unspeakably abused and raped in prison, right? So there are all these things that Teddy is trying to, all these hurdles that he's trying to overcome. Uh, But I I just thought those are some really interesting touches that Yeah, I agree. And finally, I mean, what one of the things I just love about this is is John Stern says to Amantha, you know, after the press conference that obviously from episode one that did not go as well as he would have wished. And uh, Amantha says, you know, were were you hoping that Daniel would be a little more normal? And John Stern says, uh, less esoteric, (laughs) which is what's so fascinating about the character of Daniel is he, he is so esoteric. And I'm, I'm, I'll be fat. We already know one of the books he read. I mean, I think that will slowly be revealed what books he read when he was in prison. What, what was this meditation practice that he did in prison? But all in all, I, I really think it's, it's going to be fascinating to see it, uh, um, you know, unspool itself. And I'm super excited that we, uh, that we're watching this. And I really hope that, you know, all of our listeners obviously are watching along and, and also diving in to uh to what we're finding absolutely well thanks everybody for listening to killer serials this has been a conversation about uh rectify season one episode two two down 28 to go and uh couldn't be happier couldn't be happier with how it's going yeah all right thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next week